Bigfoot, Yeti, Skunk Ape. These names evoke images of giant, mythical, bipedal apes, relegated primarily to the stuff of fantasy for the majority of the population. But could there actually be an unknown bipedal primate living in the jungles of Sumatra, Indonesia? One whose stories have garnered attention from National Geographic and other international organizations. This creature goes by the name of Orang Pendek, and while it may not be as well-known or large as his Bigfoot brethren, the creature is not the stuff of legend to those who have seen it. To many researchers and eyewitnesses alike, the Orang Pendek is a strange phenomenon. Orang Pendek, or little person in Indonesian, is described as a bipedal, hairy, ape-like creature that has human-dominant features. Alex Schlegel, a cognitive neuroscientist who participated in a four-year camera trapping project seeking the creature, provided some more context on the name Orang Pendek. Orang Pendek in Indonesian just means short person. It's like orangutan actually means forest person. And uh, I am an Orang America, American person. So Orang is an interesting word, and at least their concept of apes versus humans, they, they assign this same name to all of us, Orang. So it gives you an idea maybe of the spectrum along which, at least in Indonesian conception, we all lie. Descriptions of the creature have ranged from two and a half feet all the way up to five feet when bipedal. The lowest height range correlates closely to a male gibbon while the tallest height range correlates to a standing male orangutan. It is described as having a short, square neck, a broad chest and shoulders, long arms, and a stocky, well-muscled upper torso. Its short, dark hair covers its body, while a longer head of hair, sometimes referred to as a mane, drapes around its face. The face is human-like, with a few noticeable differences, such as a heavy-set brow, flat nose, no chin, large or long canine teeth, and a reclining forehead. Many skeptics discount Orang Pendek sightings as misidentified orangutans, even though orangutans are only found in northern Indonesia and not in the areas that Orang Pendek is commonly sighted. Most reports describe it as walking on two legs with an erect posture. It swings its arms in a manner very similar to that of a human. One report recounted by anthropologist Gregory Forth in his book, Images of the Wild Man in Southeast Asia, An Anthropological Perspective, tells of a colonial Dutch officer in the 20th century who witnessed the creature dropping to its hands and feet to flee. Another account from the same time period tells of the creature steadying itself by using its hands to hold onto foliage as it walked through the jungle. These accounts seem to bolster the theory that the Orang Pendek is simply a misidentified known primate. The physical evidence gathered for the Orang Pendek tells a different story. A variety of footprints were gathered in the early 20th century when local stories of the Orang Pendek were gaining attention from Dutch colonizers. 
The Orang Pendex feet are described as short and wide, and resemble a human with narrow, rounded heels. Many have been explained as sun bear footprints. Sun bears are the smallest of the bear family and can be found from southern China down through Indonesia. When a sun bear leaves a footprint without claw marks, it is commonly misinterpreted as evidence of the Orang Pendex existence. Some footprint casts, however, show a large toe angled away from the foot. This feature cannot be attributed to a sun bear. To this day, researchers continue to explore the jungles, gathering footprints that might belong to the Orang Pendek. Dali Sandra Diputra, an Indonesian cryptozoologist who tirelessly searches for the existence of undiscovered creatures in Indonesia, has found hair samples as well. And they, uh, we collect some hairs and then send to the Copenhagen University. Eh? So he found uh, some DNA, different DNA with the uh, monkey and the uh, human. Half a monkey, half human, something like that. Uh, yeah. Most sightings of the creature originate from farmers who claim to have seen the creature stealing their food. A lot of the sightings of Orang Pendek would happen around farmlands, and especially farmers who owned land right on the edge of the forest. There would be stories of sighting Orang Pendek and seeing it coming into the, the farm and stealing food and then retreating back into the forest. A very strange and interesting part of a lot of these stories was the effect it had on the farmers. So it's a very patriarchal society. So these are men who are head of their family and pillars of their community, you know, middle-aged, they're very respectable people, but they would report just being terrified. They wouldn't go back to that part of their farm because they were so scared of seeing it again. That doesn't really mesh, I think, with the sense that this is a person just telling a story, that this is, these are people that express genuine fear. They're not really people that are going to tell a tall tale and risk losing their reputation. They seem to be genuinely affected by whatever experience they had. Sightings of the Orang Pendek are not just a recent phenomenon. The Orang Pendek has a long, well-documented history. Europeans became particularly enthralled by the Orang Pendek in the 20th century and brought stories from Indonesia to the rest of the world, capturing the imaginations and skepticism of curious minds the world over. Various sightings during the period were documented and can be found recounted in Gregory IV's anthropological book. In 1910, a Dutch man wrote about two separate encounters with a bipedal ape in the Barisan Mountains near Mount Sugurik. He witnessed a group of three hairy mountain men crossing his path. They were short-legged and had broad shoulders. They walked like a human, but their faces were distinctly different. Afterwards, he recorded a separate sighting that happened four days afterwards in the same region where he witnessed a group of 25 members of the same species. He wrote that what he witnessed was definitely not an orangutan. DeSanti, another colonial officer, recorded an account in 1925 from a Banyusan fisherman who told him that he had encountered a dead Orang Pendek. Gregory IV recounts DeSanti's report in his book. Although the size of a child of about 10 years, the creature was evidently mature, for she had human-like breasts. The body was covered in hair, about 20 centimeters in length, while the head hair, roughly the length of a forearm, was much longer. The hands, feet, and nails were like a human's, but the middle finger extended well beyond the others. Also, 
The heel of the small foot was much more pointed. The creature had long eyebrows and lacked a cleft in the upper lip. In the previous night, before discovering the body, the informant had heard a sound like a human weeping. From its condition, particularly an abnormally swollen belly, the man inferred that the creature had died during a failed attempt to give birth. The most well-known report from this time comes from a Dutch timber prospector stationed in Palembang. His name was J. Van Herwarden. Herwarden was out hunting pigs in October of 1924 when he stumbled upon a lone female creature standing on a log. The creature stood about five feet tall and was covered in short, black hair. When the creature realized it was not alone, it turned to look at Herwarden. He noticed the face had little to no hair and resembled a human, not a monkey or ape. Similar to other accounts, the creature had much longer hair on its head that reached down to its waist. The creature fled soon after noticing Herwarden. Before fleeing, the creature made a hoo-hoo sound that was echoed by other creatures hidden in the jungle. It then fled on two feet while making a hissing noise. Could these stories somehow be based on a real creature, even if the truth has become distorted over time? Alex Schlegel shared more folklore he had heard with us while in Indonesia. One of the most common uh, aspects of the story that most people seem to be aware of is this claim that Orang Pendek walks with its feet facing backwards so that it fools you if you're trying to follow its tracks. So that would be the, the most common reaction that we would get when we would tell people what we were doing is they would say, oh, you know, they would pantomime with their hands, the, the foot going backwards. Another uh, common theme that we would hear is that Orang Pendek, uh, you won't show up in photos unless it wants to. So if it doesn't want to be seen, it won't be seen. And then there was one more that I had only ever heard actually from Sahar, our guide, and he, I don't know where this story came from, but he said that there's a story that there's only ever two Orang Pendek at a time. There's always a male and a female, and they, they circle around Sumatra on opposite sides of Sumatra, but that they never meet until one of them is about to die, and then they'll come together and mate, and then that, uh, that offspring will then replace the one that dies. And, Again. Orang Pendek fervor was at an all-time high in the early 20th century, with Dutch colonizers trapezing through the forest, hoping to be the first one to bring back the body of an Orang Pendek. But all that was ever captured were sun bears that were unfortunate enough to be mistaken for the mysterious biped. In 1932, the body of a supposed Orang Pendek was delivered to the National Zoology Museum in Bogor, Java, Hungry to claim reward money posted for the evidence of Orang Pendek's existence, a group of men altered the body of a Langer monkey to appear more human. The fake Orang Pendek body in 1932 tainted the scientific community's interest. And while public interest in the creature waned, many villagers continued seeing a creature that matched the Orang Pendek's description. In 2003, an incredible discovery was made on the island of Flores in Indonesia. Fossils from a previously undiscovered short hominin species were found in a cave named Homo floresiensis. 
Homo floresiensis lived as recently as 18,000 years ago, which actually overlaps with modern human beings. Homo sapiens and Homo floresiensis lived during the same time, and it is even believed that Homo sapiens may have been responsible for the extinction of Homo floresiensis. They stood between three to four feet in height and used tools to hunt local prey, such as the now extinct pygmy elephants and large rodents. Descriptions of the Orang Pendek have been compared to the fossils of Homo floresiensis. Is it possible that Homo floresiensis didn't go extinct and what people are witnessing are the remains of some distant human ancestor? Or is it possible that the stories are passed down from a time when they did coexist alongside humans? The discovery inspired one professor to reconsider stories he had heard of Orang Pendek while visiting Indonesia and to wonder, could there be a connection between Homo floresiensis and Orang Pendek? In 2003, when Alex Schlegel was a graduate student, he had the opportunity to participate in a National Geographic-funded camera trapping project that aimed to capture evidence of the Orang Pendek. His professor, Peter Se, was inspired by the recent discovery of Homo floresiensis fossils in Indonesia. The idea that popped into his head at the time is, oh my God, what if Homo floresiensis is still alive? Sumatra is just a couple islands over from Flores Island. In Homo floresiensis, the, the fossil records we have of it are from around 12,000 years ago, which is not that long evolutionarily. He ended up applying for some funding. I believe it was called National Geographic Expedition, so a, a branch of the organization that funds research. And in particular, we were in, I guess, one of their high-risk, high-reward categories of funding. None, none of our backgrounds are at all related to Orangtendek or primatology. But Peter is a very, uh, a very interesting and interested and curious man, and he's he's had a lot of experiences and not afraid to try new things. So we're all cognitive neuroscientists by training. We started the project in the summer of 2005. Off and on, we were running the project until 2009 when money ran out and we were all distracted by getting back to our regular lives. If we had 60 cameras, which seems like a lot, but if whenever we looked at the coverage on a map, it was just basically a pin drop in, in the forest. And our success was always just a matter of probability and probably fairly low probability given the, the resources that we had. We did get photos of pigtailed macaques. We might have actually gotten a couple of photos of siamongs, now that I think of it. But they're, 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 siamongs are uh, what's, what's called a lesser ape, so they're not one of the great apes. There are orangutans, which are a great ape on Sumatra, but not, not anywhere around the, the part of the island we were on. I guess the, the thinking is that something like 70,000 years ago, there was a super volcano explosion in, around what's now Lake Toba and something about that wiped out all the orangutan population on the southern half of Sumatra, so you only find orangutans on the northern half now. So we actually saw footprints on a couple different occasions that matched with some of the footprints that we've seen casts of, and yeah, but we, we didn't have the equipment or training to actually make casts of it, so. But being there, the, the footprints were very interesting. So I could believe that these were maybe just sun bear footprints because they had resemblance to sun bear footprints, but there were also things that were different. And a big difference was that what the the big toe indentation, was a, it was a divergent toe. So like if you imagine dogs or cats, all of their 
fingers would be along a line, but the big toe on these footprints would be more was more like a thumb, so it diverged from the other ones. Anyway, so we, we saw those footprints on a couple different occasions. At one point, there was this, what looked like a hand indentation. I could even put my hand in there and I could see that there were five fingers and roughly the size of mine. If you believed the footprints that we had seen that had that divergent toe, then I guess like Australopithecus afarensis is a, is a an animal that's also brought up as a, in when thinking about Orangpenic because it was also one of these very early hominids that was smaller, that was still kind of ape-like, but starting to, to evolve some of the traits that we associate with ourselves now. You know, it, it was bipedal, but it also its its feet were um, like our feet, so it didn't have that divergent toe. So it, you know, it, it wouldn't be an Australopithecus, but I don't think anybody would seriously say it would be. It would also, I guess, wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be a Homo floresiensis because of the same thing. Homo floresiensis was basically a human cousin. They probably looked quite a bit like us. They didn't have fur covering their skin. It could be somehow related to orangutans. Maybe that, that super volcano explosion on Toba didn't ju just wipe out the population in southern Sumatra, but it created a, an isolated population that somehow survived. That seems like, again, just, just speculating, it seems like it could be a reasonable explanation. Alex and his team aren't the only Westerners to have spent time searching for the creature. Another adventurous pair spent 15 years seeking evidence of the Oring Pendek. Debbie Martyr, a British journalist writing a travel piece on Indonesia, heard reports of the Oring Pendek and decided it would make an interesting addition to the article she was writing. After hearing so many different reports of the creatures from locals, Debbie started to wonder whether the Oring Pendek could be a real creature. More and more, she found herself drawn to the search. While in Indonesia, Debbie crossed paths with Jeremy Holden, a naturalist and photographer. We had a chance to speak with Jeremy, and he had this to say about Debbie's initial interest in the creature. So she went back to UK. She spoke to um, uh, a number of experts. I think she contacted David Attenborough at one point, uh, who knew about the story, and said, yeah, I mean, there could well be something in this. But no one was really interested to go and look for it. And, and people said, you know, if you want to find out about this, then really you need to go there yourself. So she did. But I, but I had never heard of Oren Pendek when, when I arrived in Sumatra in 1994. And it, while I was there, I, um, I met someone who was looking for it. And I remember rather smugly telling them that uh, it was clearly a, a forest or, or a myth, you know, a local myth. And that almost every culture had a similar kind of story. I mean, even in England, going back to like the Green Man, you had this um, this notion of people that came or, or that lived in the wild. And that's what I thought Oren Pendek was. But um, I was wrong. Intrigued by her dedication, Jeremy decided to join Debbie on a trip into the jungle to look for evidence of the Oring Pendek. What they found would forever change the course of his life. She had a very, very good tracker. And we just seemed to be, every day going out, he was finding footprints, we were following them. So I suggested that maybe it would be better if we, if we did find some, or thought that animal was near, we, we'd split up and did a kind of a pincer movement. 
we left camp as, as usual at six o'clock in the morning, and within an hour we'd located um, what the guide said was a was, a, was an iron pen deck. It was being mobbed by um, monkeys, so we sent him round to try and get behind um, where the monkeys were. And Debbie and I sat on a jungle slope. Um, I was sitting, you know, maybe uh, three, three meters, four meters from Debbie. I was very skeptical, and I, I honestly didn't believe there was anything to to this story. But suddenly, Debbie said, "Oh shit!" and burst into tears. And it took a while for her to actually be able to tell me that she had just seen this animal walk across the the um, opposite slope. Jeremy hadn't seen anything on this trip, but his curiosity had been fueled by what Debbie saw. They had been finding footprints in the area for the past few days, and now Debbie had seen something so startling that it caused her to burst into tears. The following day, Debbie fell ill and was unable to return to the jungle. So Jeremy and their guide returned alone to the same area that Debbie had first witnessed the creature. So we set off about five o'clock in the morning, and as I came walking up, Quite, quite a steep slope, but I noticed this very, very fresh footprint, which I thought was a human footprint. I called the guide over and said, you know, you told me that nobody lives up here because there's, there's no available water. So how come there's this absolutely fresh footprint? And he said, no, 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 that's our impendic footprint. So we followed those. We found at the edge of the forest where something had broken open a banana palm and eaten the pith. Then we found some arrowhead plants that had been pulled up and the roots had been eaten, and then a ginger which had been broken open and the pith eaten. So this was all in about 10 meters, these, these four different things, um, something that's very freshly eaten. And as we came up to the edge of the forest, we heard some birds mobbing something. And then suddenly there was this enormous rah type sound, which is about only 15 meters from where we were standing. So I just said to the guide, go in, follow it, go behind it. And I sprinted along the edge of the forest for about 50 meters and, and then tried to cut, cut off the animal to try and get ahead of it. I, I knew something was coming, so I just ducked, I ducked down into the undergrowth. This animal, which was walking very, very fluidly on two legs, covered in a pale yellowish hair, quite short, glossy hair, it was looking backwards towards, obviously um, trying to listen to my guide that was behind, who had been following it. So its, it's face was turned away from me. So I saw the head, but I didn't get to see the face. So I saw it for just maybe two, two or three seconds. Um, the, the name Warren Pendek actually means short person. So what I was expecting was, was not something as big as what I actually saw which was in the region of about one and a half meters tall. It was also very, very well built. So no, there was no neck. The, the, the head fits very much into the shoulders, which were very, very broad and very... I, I didn't actually see muscle because of the hair. It's not like a chimpanzee where you see the, the skin through the hair. The hair was thick, but I could see that this was an extremely well built animal. Um, very long muscular arms as well. So it's something 
I don't think he would have stood much of a chance against had it decided to charge. So I kept I kept quiet. I watched it pass. Obviously, I had a an absolute carnival of thoughts and emotions going through my mind. And, you know what I'd seen. It was, it was extremely shocking. It was a little bit frightening. I, I, was, I was in awe. So I specialised really going around Asia, photographing a lot of things that had never been photographed before. And Orin Pendek is really my huge failure in that regard, as I've spent a lot of time camera trapping in Sumatra, got some very rare things, a lot of pictures of things for the first time, but have missed getting um, Orin Pendek. So as a photographer, I would like to get photographic evidence. Jeremy continues to search for photographic evidence to this day, over 20 years later. Whatever he witnessed in the jungle that day left a huge impact on him. It's hard to imagine someone who has dedicated their life to photographing wildlife in Asia could misidentify something so spectacular. After hearing Jeremy's account, it is hard to deny the possibility that maybe, just maybe, there is wildlife yet documented to discover in the thick jungles of Indonesia. In the documentary called Man of the Forest by Banyak Films, Debbie Martyr spoke to the film crew and had this to add about the experience. I think Jeremy and I, most overwhelming reaction when we first saw these animals was how bipedal they are. And it's um, just actually very upsetting. What it is, is that we've been conditioned from birth that we are people and animals are animals. Mm. And then you see an animal like walking like a person, except this animal doesn't walk like a person, it walks like an orange Even if you are going to expect to see that, it does produce some disturbing... It is, it is very disturbing. Whatever Debbie and Jeremy experienced in the jungles of Indonesia, it left a deep impression on both of them. A commonality between Debbie and Jeremy's recounting of their experiences is the fear and disturbing nature of seeing this creature. That fear is also something that that is a, a theme from other groups uh, having seen it, like Westerners as well. They express this, this psychological terror at seeing it. I don't know if it has something to do with the, the uncanny valley, the sense of a, a thing that looks so close to a human but is yet not a human. Maybe some ancient learned emotional response we have to aversion to things that are not quite human. Since the 2000s, there have been 25 new species of primates discovered. As recently as 2013, a new distinct species of orangutan was discovered after one had been shot with air rifle pellets and was taken into rescue care. It turned out to be part of an undiscovered orangutan species called Tapanuli orangutan. Is it so hard to believe that the dense jungles of Sumatra hold undiscovered secrets? There's been a string of stories over the last 10 to 15 years of discovering, you know, the first big mammal in areas that we've found in, in 30 years. So it's pretty crazy that, we're, you know, there's this large mammal that's a new species that we've never documented, and we discover it now in the you know, 2010s. So it gives you a sense of even though we think we know everything about the world right now, there's a lot of there's a lot that's still undiscovered and unknown because um, there's a lot of very remote areas in the world. If the Orang Pendek does exist, it would be the only other bipedal ape on the planet other than humans. It is a horrifying thought 
to think of how fast we are losing species and the natural environment in Indonesia to logging, poaching, farming, and ever-encroaching civilization. Well, I continue the search. Um, it's actually, it's not frustrating to me that uh, people don't believe because I don't have any doubt myself. And the, the great frustration is not a personal one to me. It's a frustration for the animal. While, while no one believes in it, then we can't do anything to try and protect it. And that was the reason that I continue to look for it, was not to validate it for other people, because I, to be honest, I really didn't care too much about that. So often you hear people saying, you know, don't destroy the rainforest because we don't know what's in it. But when it's something that, you know, in a sense, is, is closer to human beings than any other creature, not necessarily genetically, but just in the fact that it's morphology, that it's a biped, then what else could not be in the rainforest if it could hide something like that? If the Orang Pendic exists and has been able to hide from humans this long, we may be pushing one of our closest ancestors to extinction and never even know it. So, does the Orang Pendic exist? It's going to be as bizarre or more bizarre for it not to exist than for it to exist. As hard as it might be to believe that something like this exists and lives still and has not been documented by Western science, my experience has been that I, yeah, I, I would be as or more shocked if it ended up having nothing, being nothing other than stories. Please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Visit www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Terrara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Terrara. Theme music by Tara Monk. A special thanks to Alex, Dolly, and Jeremy for sharing their experiences with us. Visit orangpendek.org to read more about Alex's research and visit dollyandfriends-adventure.com to follow Dolly's journey searching for Orang Pendek. Also, thanks to Graham Plowman for allowing us to use his music. You can listen to more of his music at www.grahamplowman.com and Bonyok Films for allowing us to sample their documentary, Man of the Forest. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov, Arrington de Dianyoso with Gamblo and Gamelin Gondron Lombok, and additional stock media provided by Sodabelli, Oderg, Marvin Urias, Hegu Music, Frumpy Monkey, DFIX, a35 underscore sound, all from Pond 5.